0: I want to share with you something I have in my pocket. If you've ever seen one of these before, this is called a mezuzah. Now, a mezuzah is an item that is on most every doorpost in Israel. It contains the Haggadah. And what's the Haggadah? Haggadah is a scripture from Deuteronomy that says that you will bind the uh, the Word of the Lord in your heart and on your doorposts. That when you come in and go out, you will think of them and you'll put them on as frontlets on your eyes. And that's what the Haggadah, which is inside the mezuzah, says. They put it on the doorpost. When they go in and out, they touch it and kiss their hand and touch it as they go in and out of their home. To remind them to keep the word of the Lord. So I ended up with a couple of these from Israel because I have a couple of doors I want to post that on. It is not a requirement, but it is something that I wanted to do to honor the God's Word. And the, um, the way to do that um, was such a blessing to me that I don't want to forget who He is. And, I, and I, I don't just throw that out there to say, oh look, I have a mezuzah. I'm telling you this because what's inside it reminds them to keep the law. The law is very, very critical in the Jewish understanding of life in the the Israelite understanding of how things happen, how things go about and what they do. Whenever there is a law, they make sure that they have other little laws to make sure that they don't break the big law. In other words, if it says to honor the Sabbath to not do any work on it, they have hundreds of different little bitty laws which constitute as work that you cannot do on the Sabbath. They also have hundreds other little bitty laws that tell you what you can do on the Sabbath. But one thing you cannot do on the Sabbath is strike a match. That would be work, because then you'd have to light a fire, wouldn't you? So that would be work. However, you can sit by a fire, but you cannot make one. So, go figure, right? There's a lot of different things and rules and all these things, but they're very Rule con- law, I call it law conscientious. It is what I would call the binding material in their faith and in their belief and in their society. Sabbath is a big deal, a very big deal. Everything shuts down. The traffic in, in Jerusalem is horrendous until 5 o'clock p.m. on Friday, until 5 o'clock p.m. on Saturday. The only thing that is on the streets then are tour buses and visitors who are not of the faith. There is no traffic. It's amazing how clear the roads are because it takes a while to get places when it's not the Sabbath. But on the Sabbath, for uh, us, we were free to move around and find places to go and it was not a problem. It was uh, interesting because... When you're there, you begin to see different customs at play and how serious they are. And that's one of those things they really are serious about. There are 600 and some rules in the Old Testament that they keep. And as I said a few weeks ago about the fence laws, they help to keep them. There's over 300,000 of those. So good luck by. Trying to breathe, let alone learn them all. And the reason I say that is because they're the, like I said, they're the binding material in their society and in, the, in the fabric of what they believe and what they do. I kind of want to call it the building blocks of the Jewish community and their faith and their belief system are the laws that they practice and try to keep. And it's important because in our society, it's not like that so much. We see laws more like a guideline. Most people uh, say, well, no, 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 the law is a law, it's black and white. Well, if it's black and white and it says speed limit 55, do you say, the law is the law, i got to go 54, otherwise I might go 55, over or faster. Or do you go, well, it's a guideline. How many of us who drive have never gone over the speed limit? Okay, it's a guideline, we agree. That's what our country sees those things as. There's an old saying in college when we... I'm sorry, Eddie. I'm about to say something. Um, We used to say, no cop, no stop at the stop sign. Sorry, Eddie. Um, One day I was going to say that. There he is sitting there. Um, I mean Ernie, sorry. I know your name's Ernie. I'm just exposing myself uh, to the the law. (laughs) That I just said was a guideline. Not not black and white. Um, This is all confidential, right? It's not on Facebook. (laughs) I got your visual well, uh, the, reason I, the reason I'm trying to mention all this though is each society is governed by certain things. Mm-hmm. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount begins to transform those building materials of faith. He begins to make things differently understood. Now, I'm going to um, pull a couple pieces in here for you that are related and they all fit together. So bear with me. But I want to share with you, first of all, in my life, in in all the work I've done, I've never been a good mason. I've poured concrete. I've formed it. I've fashioned it. But you know, by looking at what I've done, I'm not a good mason. I can get the job done, but you don't want to hire me to do it. I don't even want to hire me to do it. That's why I don't pay myself to do it. My gifts lie elsewhere. And thankfully, I have other ones. Otherwise, I would be in trouble. Now, if I were told like the slaves were in Israel, uh, for the Israelite slaves in Egypt when they were in bondage, how to mix mortar, how to build bricks, how to put them together, I could learn. After all, that's what they did. They learned. They were forced to do this. It was slave labor with taskmasters making sure that the required amount was made every single day. There was an allotment. And uh, when the plagues came along, it got worse. The mortar that they made, made bricks. And the bricks that they made, made walls for Egyptian building projects. Homes, temples, pyramids possibly. And when we on Palm Sunday begin to sit down together as families for the cedar meal, the seder meal, excuse me, we'll find on there something called Harris You go, oh, my hair set just fine. We don't That's not what Harris is. It's H A R O S E T. It represents the clay that the Israelite slaves used to make bricks. Now Harris comes from the word Harris, H E R E S, which means clay it 's a sweet mix of stuff I, I 'm not sure exactly what all's in it, but a lot of different things can be made, but it it's sweet tasting contrasted with the bitter herbs which we talked about last week and the sweet is because freedom offsets the bitter taste of their remembered bondage or slavery in egypt so although that slavery has been thousands of years ago, they still remember all the times they were in bondage, let alone Egypt, but the Babylonian captivity, and all the different times that they were without a home. And this sweetness reminds them, when they partake, that they now have a homeland, and it's called Israel. It's been since 1948. So that contrasts with the bitter herbs and the bitter pain of the bondage that they remember with the bitterness of slavery. Now, the reason I mention that is because when we begin to recognize the things in life that God's delivering us out of, we don't want to forget where we came from. We don't want to forget the work that God has done in us, in our lives, in our families, and in our church, lest we take it for granted. And so, when we pause at the Seder plate, we're going to take some of those sweet sweet uh, heresit morsels, and remember that the sweetness of life with Christ is different than life without Him. That He's taken our bondage to sin and cast it away. That we're free in Jesus Christ. Yet, their bondage was for years centuries, if you will, in Egypt. And at the time of Christ, they were in bondage, if you will, to Rome. The laws that they had, which I've mentioned were numerous, were increased by the Roman laws placed on them. So not only did they have their own, Rome put some more there. They had a burden that they placed on the Israelite community that they did not want. It was not something that they said, oh great, Rome is our leader, we're under Caesar. They they argued with Jesus over this several times. And even the Roman authorities and scribes and Pharisees trying to trap Jesus said, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? To Rome. Do we honor Rome? And what did Jesus do? He took a Daenerys and said, whose image is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, well then give to Caesar what belongs to him, but give to God what belongs to God. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, you're under bondage only because what goes to Rome is from Rome. The coin, the the, the money supply was Roman. And give that back to Rome. But what God gives you, give that to God. Your loyalty, your allegiance, your hope, your faith, your love. They didn't like Rome so bad that a few years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a revolt and basically uh, an uprising occurred against Rome that ended up with the burning of the temple and the destroying of it in the year seventy. Talk about anger toward Rome. That would have put it over the top. But it just so happens that at Masada, some holdouts also died there where we were and uh, did so to avoid Roman persecution. Took their own life. That's how bad it was. And so Roman law dictated much of how the Israelite nation lived their lives. When they paid taxes, where they could go, kind of land ownership was under their uh, rule as well. And uh, I thought about how Paul began to say we're under grace and not under the law, the power of the law. And I think he was trying to give some people some comfort under the Mosaic law and all those binding laws, but also the Roman law. That grace is bigger than that. That the building blocks of faith are stronger than the building blocks of society, even though society may look like it's winning. One of the laws that uh, Rome had is in the Sermon on the Mount, where if a soldier compels you to walk a mile and carry his gear, you had to under penalty of death. And so... Could you understand the disdain for someone who's in a ruling authority over you now making you do something to help that government, those ruling authorities, have an easier life at your expense? And so Jesus says, if someone compels you to walk a mile, go to It doesn't just say, asks you, the word is compel. In verse 41. Whoever compels you. The word compel is, oh, you don't have to, but you'll be dead. You'll be run through with a sword. So you're going to carry it the mile. And most people did it begrudgingly. Jesus says, go a second mile. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, that just doesn't seem fair. Isn't that kind of... Taking our sense of what's right, what's wrong. We're doing the very, what the Roman authority asks us to do. We want to get out from under, do it, get our job done, and get back home, right? So, so why in the world would he tell us to go to? Why would he ever say that? People even talk about it as second mile Christians, but what exactly is that all about? To me, I think this is counterintuitive to sense. Why go two miles if all I have to do is one? Especially if I can't stand a Roman authority. Mm -hmm. Why would I ever want them to hold me in bondage for two miles, let alone one? Well, I think Jesus implies that we have freedom to go beyond expectation, that we choose the second mile, it's not forced. Oh, yeah, but why would I choose that? My back might be hurting. My legs might be tired. I might have things I have to do. Why would I do that? And this is how we think in our society. Why would I ever want to put myself out like that? Well, let me tell you what we're run by. Opinions, beliefs, valuations, time, money, and possessions. That's what runs our life. And if it's an inconvenience in any of those, we don't want to do it. But listen what it's not run by. Love, compassion, mercy, grace, peace, joy, and unity of the Spirit. None of those run our society. And Jesus said, if someone compels you, Stop thinking about your cost and start thinking about how you can bless that person who needs you to do that or who commands you. Why? Because Jesus is not talking about a, love of pers- a law of personal gain or protection, but a law of love. Because love goes above and beyond expectation, or it's just doing what's minimal. No one remembers someone who does what's necessary. But people remember. People who go above and beyond. Exceptional or excellence. The reason Harris said it's sweet is because it reminds of what used to be forced on us as as in bondage. And we all were subject to bondage. Some folks still are by beliefs, personal values and mindsets, uh, voices from the past, things that tell us we can't do certain things when it's just not true because what God calls us to do we're able to do we are more than able as a church to do everything God asks us to do or he would not ask us to do those things we are not too small we're not too big we're the right size for what God asks us to do and he makes up the difference of what we think we can't But the sweetness is is to realize that that bondage, that old mindset is gone. That I am free in Jesus Christ to live the Gospel, to love without restriction. And that means of my own making, of society's making, of other people's expectations of me. There's a story. I've been reading this book called Start. I highly recommend it. It's hilarious and painfully honest. It's a very good read. And in this book, he tells a story about a woman he ran into on the plane who was 80 years old. And uh, he asked her a question. He said, The author said, so is there anything in life that you wish you could have done different? And this lady, who's happy birthday by the way, just turned uh, 80 some years old, said there's one thing I wish I would have learned a long time ago. I wish I would have stopped trying to live up to people's expectations and just been true to myself. Mm -hmm. If I could have just been true to myself. Well, when you belong to Jesus Christ, your self changes, but your old self keeps trying to get you to follow into those old expectations and societies that just don't know how to live the right voices. Mm -hmm. And so, when Jesus begins to talk about this... What he's saying is your expectations are going to change and you're going to live a life based on love. If the minimal is this, double it. Do more. Love the person. Now here's how I look at that. The first mile, you're compelled. And the conversation that that soldier's had with anybody else who's gone that first mile may be the same as yours. And he'll say, well, here's the end of the mile. I'll take my pack. And you look at him and say, no, sir. I will carry it further. And you look at you and go, why? You don't even like us. Why would you want to be with us, let alone do work for me? And the response is, because I have a God of love who says, I love. And I'm going to love you this way. Maybe one day you'll know how much God loves you. And that changes the conversation, doesn't it? You're not saying it. You're doing love. So many times the church talks about love one another, love this, and they say it rather than do it. I'm going to say something that I hope you're not mad at me. But a Cubs player has a new shirt. He said last year, and this is why I made the shirt. Last year he had talked about how great he was as a catcher, the greatest catcher in baseball. He had a miserable year. This church, uh, this shirt, this year. Says this, don't listen, watch me. Mm-hmm. Not saying a word, just watch me. Can your witness that you love others be practical and not just words? Is it in deed as well? The scripture says we love in both word and in our deed, and that's why. And Jesus says, So if, you, if you're compelled to walk them out, go a second one. That's different. You stand out from the crowd. You stand out as someone who's doing something that a person who hates someone's not going to do. You can't compel yourself to do something you don't want to do. If you hate somebody, you're going to want to get away and not go forward for another uh, 10 to 15 minutes carrying a heavy load for them. You're just not going to bear their burden. You won't. You'll find good reasons not to. Well, you know, they've hurt me. They've lied about me. You'll find all sorts of reasons and all those old voices that have been forgiven through Jesus Christ that keep telling you, you don't have to do that. That old voices kept you in bondage to the law of sin and death. The old voices are like this. Well, you know, I can't forgive everybody because, you know, not everybody's forgivable. Or the old voices are, I... I um, I can't do that for God because it'd be too painful or cost too much, uh, Or the old voices are, "I'm not smart enough, or, I'm not good enough, I'm not qualified. I don't know how." All these voices that we play over and over are voices of bondage. When we eat the hereset, we're saying we don't have to listen to those anymore. How sweet it is that the voice of God says, I am accepted in my beloved. I belong to my heavenly Father. He loves me. I'm welcome in His home. And there's no restriction on me in the family of God. All the power and blessing of the kingdom of heaven is at my disposal. The same power that worked in Jesus Christ, the same Spirit that rose Him from the dead, is alive and active in me. And only I can block that. If I choose to listen to things that tell me it's not there or that it's impossible, I've heard people say this is just for the disciples and the first generation of apostles and they shut down the power of God that way. Nowhere does it say that in the scriptures. Nowhere. So go second mile. Okay. You may still think it's pointless. Not worth your time. But whose measure of evaluation are you using for pointless and not worth your time? Yours? Wouldn't be the person you're trying to compel the second mile with. It wouldn't be worth pointless to them. It wouldn't be not worth their time. So it's all about you again. That's what those voices say. It's all about you. It's all about what you want, what you need. Don't listen to other stuff. Don't listen to people being compassionate. They don't need it. They needed it. They'd pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They'd get on with life, carry their own pack. You just go home and enjoy yourself and sit down and have a nice cup of tea and relax. Mm -hmm. You've worked hard for that moment. Go ahead and enjoy it. That's what we hear in our heads so often. But that's not sweet. And I'll tell you this, the stuff you're making bricks with right now is destroying lives if that's what you're doing. Oh, and I didn't tell you this, we're all making bricks. By what we do, we're either making walls or we're making dwelling places. Our behavior makes bricks. It's the mortar. Our behavior is the mortar for the brick. Either we're tearing down walls and building up dwelling places and safe places, or we're putting up walls and dividing ourselves by the mortar that we're mixing. Yeah, we make bricks when we're in bondage, it puts up walls. But we're in the kingdom of God, we build dwelling places and safe places with them. Places <laughs> where people feel welcome, wanted, included, accepted, needed valued, honored, treasured, cherished. Those kind of places. We need those in our own life. Why wouldn't we want to build them for others? Are you enslaved right now to time? (laughs) I feel like it. That's my biggest thing. I don't have enough time. I got the same 24 hours that Albert Einstein, Helen Keller, and Mother Teresa, and each one of you have every day. How can I say I don't have enough? They had enough. Other people in my situation, similar, are getting stuff done. Why do I say I am exclusive in saying I don't have enough time, but they do? But that's mine, time. What about are you enslaved to money? Either acquiring, keeping, or, or desperate for it? Are you enslaved to possessions or people's opinions or your own opinion? Does your energy that you give to others come with a price tag? If it does, you're in bondage. Are you free enough to give things away or is that too big of an imposition? Oh, you know, I paid for that. They need to pay me something. I want to make a profit. That's how a lot of people think. That's the world's way. Jesus wouldn't say that. If someone sues you for your coat, give them a shirt too. (laughs) Wait a minute. Why would I do that? And the question is, that's what the person who you're doing that for would ask you. Why would you do that? Because if you need my coat bad enough to sue me, I'm going to give you the shirt too because you probably need the full set. Probably the tie. And I'm going to bless you. You get what you think you deserve, but I'm going to bless you above and beyond because I can. I've been free not to be attached to it. It's not mine. I don't need it in the new life. One day I'll never wear it again. So I might as well let it be today. I got another one in actually hanging on the bathroom door. Just like it. and three, four more clothes just like this in the closet. Do you understand what I'm saying? is we think one way, but yet we say, I love people. But our thoughts and our actions and what we believe and live our lives based on is the mortar of stuff that says, "I don't even think I know how to love." You may think that you're free because you're in a free country, but you're still making Mm (laughs) bricks. The question is, are you in bondage or are you in freedom making those bricks? Bricks of joy or bricks of destruction? Why not stop building walls between you and other people Mm -hmm. and start tearing those down and using those as raw materials to make safe places for those people you're pushing away? What are you working on? You're doing one or the other. You're building walls or you're building safe places. One or the other with your life. There is no other option. If you're not doing anything, you're building walls. There is no stagnation in this that says, well, I'm not doing anything, therefore I'm doing nothing to hurt anybody. It's not true. You've got to do all the good you can as well. Everybody's working on something. Every one of us. Do you know what you're building? What are you wanting to build? Are you adding into the mortar of the thing that you're building? Love and peace? Is joy in your mix? Love is a key component to life in Christ. And here's what's really neat. Jesus said to the disciples in John 13, the new command I give to you that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you, you love one another. And guess what? You can't put a law on love. And only you know if you're loving or not by your motive. Nobody else can look at you honestly and say, you did that because you wanted something else from me. They can give you their motive for you and false motives, but that's their opinion. You know, and between you and God, you know if the actions you're doing are based on love or for some other reason. And there's no law to say, well, that wasn't very loving. Because outward appearances, it looks like love no matter how you do it. If it looks loving, but you can't tell the law, look, his heart wasn't right in that moment. How can you tell? You can't for someone else. But God and the Holy Spirit within you for sure can tell you if you're acting in love. It's a key component to life in Christ. So is joy and peace. If those things aren't there, you're doing stuff out of compulsion because you feel like you've got to or it's mandatory or that if you don't do it, no one else will or you've got to do it so you don't look like a bad person. But love undoes the bitterness of bondage. But I have to tell you, love must be recognizable. And in this this day and age, Jesus' words are more true than any other, I think, when He says to love your enemy. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's the last... I want to get away from I don't want to pray for them. You understand, getting away from is protection. I'm protecting me like I'm threatened. But God is my protector. And if I'm going to live out the life of love, I have to be in some uncomfortable situations and make some uncomfortable choices that myself doesn't like. But love doesn't concern itself, as I read in 1 Corinthians, with self. It doesn't keep a record of wrongdoings by the other person. It always hopes. It always believes. It perseveres regardless. This is what Jesus is saying. Go the second. I don't know if I want you. There's your check. Are you there on love? Are you going to go above and beyond? If He compels you, then go the second one to show Him that you're free to do two. I'm going to love you for two, not one. You can't make me love you. I'm going to love you because I do already. I don't know if you're getting this yet. (laughs) Loving and blessing others is often seen by yourself and the world is being taken advantage of. You feel like you're being used until you choose it. No one can take advantage of a willing person. I just gave them $100. They use you. No, I gave it. They didn't ask for it. Nobody asked me. I just did it because I felt the love of God tell me to love them like that. Hmm. Loving and blessing others is not being taken advantage of. It isn't. Not if your heart's based on love. Do you know what "taken advantage of talks about? Is that you have stuff that you have that you own, your possessions, your time, your money, your belongings, thoughts and opinions that people are trying to take from you. That you think you own it. And therefore, they've taken advantage of those things you own. your, Your opinions, your expertise, your experience. They took advantage of my knowledge and didn't even thank me. No, they didn't take advantage. You gave it willingly, with joy in your heart. And if they thank you, that's bonus. The gift is not based on the giver, or Jesus would not have died. Do you get that? It's not based on our worthiness that He died for us. He's asking us to do the same thing for people who are not worthy, who are undeserving, who we don't like, simply because it changes us too. It shows a transformed life. When you choose to go above expectations and beyond them, above compulsions of society and being coerced, in this way you will tear down walls. And if that is not important to you yet, I encourage you to get on your knees before Jesus Christ right now and say, forgive me, I'm a sinner, I don't love and I don't want to. Forgive me. Help me see that you've called me to be better than that. Ouch. My mantra, I've had it for about 19 years now, is what you give away will come back to you. Mm -hmm. What you give away will come back. Now you go, well, what does that mean? I think it means if I give away, you know, goodness, I'll get goodness back. But it means a whole lot more than that. Do you understand in the Scripture, it talks about God's Word won't return void. After many days, it will accomplish what it's set out to do. You, in Ecclesiastes, he says, cast your bread on the waters. After many days, it will return to you. Uh, and I used to think, well, why would I want soggy bread? <laughs> you know, a minimal understanding of Scripture with that thought. A literal, minimal. But what he's saying is, what you pour out into the world around you is what God is going to reward you back with. Not them. God. Because they're not your rewarder. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it because you love God. And God's love is in your heart. And your Heavenly Father who sees you doing it will reward you. Not them. You're not being nice to someone so they'll be nice back. You're doing it because it's in your heart to love. And your Heavenly Father will reward you with His love and His kingdom. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So what you give away comes back to you. And Jesus says, if you go one mile, you're not doing anything special. And if you love people who love you, what good is that? Even tax collectors and IRS does that. What if you loved your enemies and people who hate you and use you and went above and beyond with them? What would that say to your Heavenly Father and to you? Some people would say, it says I'm crazy. I've lost my mind. Well, I would hope you lost your mind and got the mind of Christ. And I hope you're crazy enough to be a fool for Jesus Christ. And I hope that you find that the mortar of your life is the mortar of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit being built within you and to the world around you. All I can say is when the Israelites left Egypt, they quit making bricks for Egypt. But they made bricks for themselves. Mm -hmm. And they built things. And later they used stones. But they were still doing the same work with a different mindset because they were free to do it. They were happy in that. Yet it was the same work. Now do you understand why being free lets you love others without fear of being taken advantage of, losing anything, because it's not yours anyway. And theirs is not the one to reward you. It's your Heavenly Father. And you can't do that if you don't believe in Him. And you can't do that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because it's pointless. And it doesn't make any sense. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, what's your mortar? What's in it? What are you building? What are you tearing down? What are you creating in this world and establishing? I know as a church, God has called us to rise up. Mm -hmm. To rise up means you're going to be noticed. and Hopefully for the right things, but noticed by your Heavenly Father because you did it for Him and in His name. And listen to how Jesus says this. If anyone, this is, this is bottom line stuff, if anyone will give even as much as just a cup of water in my name, just a cup of water, very simple task, will by no means lose their reward in heaven. Not from the person you gave the water to, but in heaven. That's what He says. And I stand on that today. And I pray that You will with me. Would You pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, You've loved us with a love we don't understand or deserve or comprehend, but You say that in You we are complete. Perfect, You say. The word perfect there means we are complete. And mature as much as we can be by what your love does in us. So, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us this very day to see the building blocks we've made, the ones we've used, whether we've done things because the law compelled us, the society, or because there's a love within us that Jesus says, I cannot not love. Lord, I pray this morning that we take the steps to ensure and to guarantee in our own hearts that we're yours. And the love that you've bestowed upon us just won't stop spilling out from out of us. God, if that's not happening in our lives, then convict us, challenge us, and bring us back to repentance that we might truly be yours. Amen.